some different music to play you all. <laughs> I tell you what, it's no wonder Josh has been angrier on these last few episodes. <laughs> you don't, you don't even know. Really. Certain songs stuck in your head. Uh, on that note, I've got something for you too that I forgot to play. It's a little uh, uh, kid cootie action there, Josh, for you. Oh, nice! I wanted your reaction to it. Scotch on the rocks, please. Any scotch will do, as long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt, Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps, maybe a Glengowrie, any Glen. I'm drunk. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Alright, so welcome to yet another Christmas episode of Sober Cinema, and as with most anniversaries of Christmas films, they release on early November weekends. This time we go back three years to November 13th, 2015, when Love the Coopers was the top grossing new release. Now it was coming in third behind weeks two of James Bond and Charlie Brown flicks, to the tune of $8.3 million. This family holiday comedy starring Diane Keaton and John Goodman would go on to gross $42 million on a $24 million budget for what I suppose would be a modest success. As usual with holiday movies, one would have to see if it's being replayed on TBS or Hallmark in 20 years' time to accurately gauge whether or not that's true. I don't think we need that much time to judge the finances of our forgotten film for this weekend, James White. I'll throw that out there to you all. And if, if you've looked it up, you know, don't cheat, Jared. Uh, what do you think this one grossed? Well, uh, I did look it up, but <clears throat> I'm going to yeah, I'm just going to guess like maybe like five thousand dollars because like Jeez, I'm Josh, a- wow, all right, uh, well, it did open on one screen uh, to twelve thousand dollars. Okay, so not bad. One screen, you know, it's already doubling up your prediction for its. <laughs> no, see, I, I was accounting for one screen. <laughs> for shooting, see, for <laughs> I, I was accounting for one screen, but I was also decreasing for sheer depression value that like. Uh, <laughs> Well, I would say word of mouth probably would scare away people in week two as far as like, hey, was that a good time? No, yeah, it was yeah. not. <laughs> so uh, it ended up uh, – now it was just had a limited uh, run, I think, for like awards consideration. And for the most part, I believe if you were not in the New York, L.A. area, you probably saw this on iTunes like in February. Uh, that's how I saw it initially. Uh, now it did make $100,000 in a limited release, and it had a Kickstarter budget of 63000 So – uh, the backers, money. you know, yeah, the backers, uh, I guess, got what they wanted, and uh, nobody was in the red for this one. Uh, as for the critic scores, James White, 92% on Rotten Tomatoes for a forgotten film, and Love the Coopers, not so much, 19%. Love the Coopers. <laughs> uh, of course, the only opinion that really matters will be the three voices that you hear on this episode of Sober Cinema. So, gentlemen. Did you love the Coopers? Doesn't it suck how we can want to run from our families but impress them at the same time? I just disappoint mine. I think the build-up to facing their disappointment is actually the worst part. Disappointment, I call it. I can't face the disappointment. 
Is that why you're avoiding them? I just hate the holidays. And I hate having to reduce everything I'm doing down to a soundbite and then defend it. You know, I just hate reverting back to how everyone saw me. Maybe you should join the army. <laughs> Are you scared? Uh. Here. Take that. How about a little Nina Simone? Josh, explain <laughs> this <laughs> this massive box office success. <laughs> That I, I know everyone's already seen, but if they've not, <clears throat> what is this movie? Well, I, so I'm really kind of shocked that this is the uh, <laughs> the, the popular, popular movie of that week. Because, Tell you uh, what. I, I don't you remember at, a lot about it. Yeah, if you look at certain weekends, <laughs> I even, like, because I think to myself, I'm just being a jackass to these two. I set up Love the Coopers as some sensation. And then I look, I'm like, no. As far as new movies, this was the number one choice for people. Sure, yeah. That is uh, uh, a little surprising. Yeah. So, as you stated earlier, you know, it stars um, John Goodman and Diane Keaton as the uh, patriarch and matriarch of said Cooper family. And it's pretty much like your standard, almost, holiday anthology film of intertwining stories, but only... Uh, with this one, it does revolve around like several generations of the Cooper family. So it, it's all based on different family members and where they're at going into the holiday season. So love uh, actually, if everyone was related, if every pretty summer. much, yeah. And, and some some of them are connected in ways that you don't really know how until the the story progresses a little bit. But that's the <laughs> that's the general gist. Uh, uh, cherry on top, you get. Steve Martin uh, narrating as Rags the dog. How dare uh, you? That's a major spoiler, sir. They don't wait <laughs> until the last line. <laughs> Even, uh, I mean, I guess it is a spoiler, but it's one of those things I'm like, wait, was that supposed to be a big reveal? This is. I, I thought we just all assumed this is the dog's voice because when he starts talking, we're looking at the dog. And yeah, it's like yeah. the last line, and it's like, Even me, the Cooper dog. I'm like, yes, we get oh, it. Oh, shit, it's the dog. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that changes anything about what you just saw. I was like, mm -hmm, everything is. This changes my opinion of this film totally. It was the dog the entire time. <laughs> a little creepier, maybe, with his uh, commentary on his family, but still. Uh, well, doesn't he talk about himself in third person? Because at one point, the dog's like, yes. And then, what's his name? Starts eating uncontrollably to deal with like his own emotions. Or whatever? Or yeah, yeah, Rag starts. It's like, okay, a little third person from the dog. That's yeah, weird. I didn't know if they were actually trying to trick you or if they just decided we need an ending and they just changed it up where Steve Martin was just supposed to be this sort of omniscient sort of godlike uh fairy tale presence and then they're like no no make him the dog because that's <laughs> that's we needed like a look, who, look who's talking <laughs> moment here uh so Josh you know alluded to this being actually I don't know where uh nasty hellcat falls on love actually so if this is like an attempt at something like that which is now like it, it is very much like a christmas favorite at this point do you like? Do you even like those type of movies? Yeah, I, I like the you know trying to remember what the season's for sort of sentimentality type of movies. But shout out to Hiro who is so disappointed in you right now. I'm he's, sorry, he's probably Hiro. hate tweeting you at this very moment. <laughs> <laughs> I this. hear about it every episode. Um, <laughs> I love the Coopers. Uh, was definitely the opposite. It was man, how many different directions and how much sentimentality do you really need in a film? Like, go with one story, go with two stories. Like it was just 
all over the place. And here's a question: uh, Is there one story that stands out that could be its own movie if they got rid of all the other characters? I think if you just focused on John Goodman and uh, Diane Keaton, if you would just like focus on that and then have the other, you know, secondary characters around it showing why they're kind of like a strained marriage instead of giving like everything, everything is given like main story attention in this Mm. film, in my opinion. Even Timothée Chalamet, Josh. Even Timothée. (laughs) I I was so split on what to feel because it's like on the one hand, (laughs) on the one hand, I hate him. (laughs) And, and so like, the first I've you felt for it. with him you felt for Timothy in this. No, 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 no. no. That, that, that's not that's not the case. It was like like the scene when he like walks out, which his grandparents are standing outside, and he does that little shh and puts his fingers up to his head as he's walking out. So terrible! It was so terrible. But what made it so good was that it was Timothy Chalamet doing it, and I was like, oh, thank goodness, he sucks so bad. So it's like <laughs> he's on brand for you then. Yeah, yeah, it's like, I was like, okay, you know, like, it would hurt my soul a little bit if it was any other actor doing it, but him doing it, I'm like, yep, keep it up. So you, d- you didn't like his uh, character at all, because I, I thought you would actually dig it because he's playing, I think most of his characters are playing kind of cliches of, of like a they family are. member, and he's playing sullen, mopey teenager. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't think he did anything special there. He didn't bring nothing to it. Uh, I'm just going to stop asking for anything positive about Timote with Josh because <laughs> it's just not going to happen. I, I mean, you know what? I would I would give him an honest chance if it, if it honestly impressed me, but it, it didn't. Um, so you, you were saying, like, would any of these stories stand out on their own for like their own movie? And I, I think... Timothée's story and um, Ed Helms are probably the most basic. Like, there's just nothing there. Uh, they're just kind of there to progress certain beats and certain emotional beats for what the characters are going through. Uh, and I don't think they would really carry any type of story on their own. A newly separated slash divorced man and, like, still being a father. Unemployed, that, you yeah. know, looking for a job. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a story there, but, I mean, we've really seen that type of story probably... And many, it's many times. Timothy, so you have no sympathy, right? So. No sympathy. Yeah, I hate him. Um, now, so like uh, you know, Jared mentioned, we have Diane Keaton and John Goodman's characters, and they're trying to approach the holidays with kind of keeping it uh, lid on the fact that they're going to divorce, and because they want to have one last Christmas with everybody, just thinking everything's happy and good. And I think if the movie had focused more on that. And their angle that would have been an interesting take, you know, because you don't usually get trying to fake happiness through divorce in a movie, you know, as far as just uh, I think there could have been a lot of stuff played up there, whether it be emotionally sad or even funny. Um, A lot of things you could have done with that. I think it plays better. I agree with both of you. It plays better if you don't meet the other family members and it's more like a stage play where it's just like. You know, whatever Christmas Eve, whenever they're getting together, and you just meet them as they arrive at the house. Yeah, and yeah. I think that would be better because then the focus is on the, as you said, the the parents, and then you get a little bit as they interact with their parents, as opposed to doing the love actually thing where you just see them on their own for long stretches. Right, right, yeah. Because really, all these stories, it would have been interesting with with Ed with Ed Helms, um, Olivia Wilde. Uh, if if we had not been in on what was going on with them, but then when they show up, we start to discover as the parents discover it, that would have been way more interesting. 
Whereas knowing what it is going into it and just watching the characters react to the reveal, not not so much. So well, I'm, I'm going to have to play the nasty Hellcat part of being, I guess, the perceived pervert here. Uh, <laughs> although shout out to our uh, acquaintance, Derek Stewart at Daystu, who would be perving out about Diane Keaton the entire runtime. But I'm <laughs> I'm going to go, I guess, uh, a little more vanilla and removing that aspect. I know how it's going to sound, but I do think actually the Olivia Wilde meeting this soldier at the airport and basically propositioning him, uh, Jake Lacey. Uh, to be her fake date for a Christmas party with family, uh, to impress her parents and like sort of make it seem like she's got her, I guess, romantic act together. Yeah. I actually like their chemistry. If, if you're going to treat this like a rom-com, I think they're pretty fine together because it's something kind of rare where you're seeing two people on complete opposite spectrum uh, of politics. And yet they both, they never really agitate me. I actually like seeing both of them together sort of bantering back and forth. It would have been – that would have been another one of the stories that I think could have been a movie on its own because it's almost a before sunrise, before sunset, whichever one was the first one. I can't remember. It's almost something like that. You know, Hiro, two strangers. I hate tweeting you now. <laughs> talking, about the, <laughs> talking about the greatest trilogy, and he's he's sending something to uh, uh, LL Cool Josh on one of those movie forums that you peruse. I just can't remember which one's first. I, I like those movies. They're good movies. Let me finish my pervy thought, or at least perceived pervy thought. I also like the Amanda Seyfried Alan Arkin. Oh yes, with the uh, the older sort of cantankerous man that comes in the diner, and they have this this bond over like old movies and mm-hmm. sort of life advice. Uh, I like those two as well. Now I think it yep. the way that resolves is sort of weird that she's yep absolutely <laughs> she's sort of brought into this uh, this family of nonsense really to be sacrificed and be like now you are at you are at Helms for I am old. <laughs> but, but he kind of looks like me and I'm like I don't think so but all right whatever. Uh I, I like those two separate storylines. I despise the Marissa Tomei uh counseling the gay black cop uh something awful in this movie. I I think that brings it to a crashing halt every time and I don't find her amusing. And I like Marissa Tomei not as much as Josh um from our before the Devil Knows You're Dead episode, but I'm sorry you're getting her mixed up with the other Aunt May. Well, I just set us set us up for more of that. So let me drop in the clip of you yet again <laughs> talking about wh- who is the hottest Aunt May. We're going to get some steamy scenes with Rosemary Harris. That's nice. Uh, so Josh took the pervert crown for me. I think um, this is something that I don't know. The target audience, I bet you, is if you're putting on the Hallmark Channel, I think the humor is just light enough that it's like passable. For like, I don't know. People that just want some sort of a mindless holiday cheer movie. Uh, but it, I have to admit, it's a little weird for three 30-something dudes to be like, all right, time to celebrate the anniversary of the Coopers. <laughs> it's, it's not uh, really a movie that allows itself for like long-form conversation, I guess. No. Um, this was one of those occasions where my wife was actually kind of like walking by and like started paying attention to watching it. And I think she enjoyed it pretty good. And I don't think it's because it's deep or heavy or anything, but it's kind of like what you mentioned. It, it is something that if you're just kind of wanting to watch something, uh, a, a Christmas movie that kind of uh, hits on different subjects. And like you said, it's kind of a feel good movie. Like, I mean, it's not feel good the whole way through because there's a lot of situations that start out kind of negative, but by the end of it, it's a pretty feel good movie. It ends pretty well for everybody. So it, it's certainly that. 
I, I asked Jared if he was, uh, you know, because I really didn't expect him to be a Love Actually fan. But is there a uh, – we did an episode on Christmas movies. I think the top of it was on repeat. And we were talking about the ones that <clears throat> age better or worse throughout the years. And that seems to be the thing with holiday movies in particular is they're going to get so much play on TV throughout the years. Is is there is this something that you think, you know, 10 years from now, will it be in that sort of rotation or – is it not quite good enough? Because there are going to be holiday movies every year sort of fighting for that TBS territory. Maybe in one of the lesser time slots it might get some play. But <laughs> 2 I, mean, I don't. Yeah, 2 a.m., <laughs> love the Coopers. Oh, shit, get the DVR ready. Um, but, you know, I just I don't I don't think it cracks any sort of mountain of Christmas movies to where I, it, it's, it's indistinguishable from something that I would see on the Hallmark channel. You nailed it with that description early on. Like it's <clears> the star power would be the only thing that like, if I saw that on the Hallmark channel, I was like, what's John Goodman doing on the Hallmark channel? But other than that, yeah, I, I and, and to Josh's point, I think it's, maybe it's a little too hateful for most of its runtime for some of the characters, like the idea of Goodman and Keaton being the parents of, of these children that are having their own problems and then knowing like that the ax is over their heads as well. Like, yep, this is the last Christmas. We just haven't told them yet. Uh, I don't think it's quite as fun as what I would want like a Christmas movie to be until you get towards the end and people start hashing things out. And as I said, Ed Helms just gets Amanda Seyfried just thrown into his lap as like <laughs> the ultimate Christmas present. Was that before or after he snorts? I don't think she hears him snort. Thankfully, I, I'd imagine that would, I would hope not, Josh. I'd hope that wasn't like a <laughs> sealed deal. deal. Maybe, maybe, maybe it goes from being a nervous tick to a, just a sexual noise that he makes there like when he's aroused. All right, there's our. Uh, that's time for a clip editing, Mike. Here's a clip of James White as a little downer to the, the upper Josh just gave us. Remember how when you were a kid, you had that box of '96 crayons. And you would take it with you everywhere. Just draw all the time. Uh, vaguely, yeah. Most kids just had their box of eight. Well, I have 96, too. And the thing about us is, we feel good things way up here. But we feel bad things way, way And we gotta try and remember. There's all this space in between. We gotta try and live in there too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Jared, I set this up, you know, in previous episodes. Sad bastard movie. Right. Jared's gonna love it. Up my alley. Oh. So yeah. I'm assuming a lot of people did not see this, as we said, very limited. If you wanted to see it, I think it's on Netflix currently, I believe, yep. if you want to check it out. Uh, but this one's kind of hard to spoil because you, it's sort of a character study. So just briefly, you know, what, what are people going to get into if they decide to take our advice or not and see uh, James White on Netflix? Uh, well, I will just go ahead and start with the Netflix description because I want to okay. set this this picture here. A self-destructive New Yorker attempts to transform himself when his reckless behavior prevents him from caring for his terminally ill mother. I think that does a huge disservice to the film. Okay. James, it's hard. There's not much to spoil. I mean, his mom has cancer and she's dying and his father has just died. 
So I go into this thinking like he's just going to be this tremendous shithead that's like just out all night. Yeah, fuck you, mom. I'm not getting your pills, this, that, the other. And really, it's just a dude that's struggling with trying to like deal with all this shit. That's really all it is. Yeah, I had I like I said I'd seen this before and it ended up being I'll just I guess spoil my thoughts on it, it ended up being one of my favorite movies like it was top five for me that year when I finally caught up with it now that was way after the fact of the, this mm-hmm. year resolving and it, it caught me off guard because I knew in that description I knew it was about his mother uh, dying of cancer mm-hmm. and him being a caretaker of sorts uh, but even the second time around I guess because that that element of the film is so heavy and what you're going to be dealing with for most of the runtime. I forgot that it starts off with him going to his father's wake. It's like he's staying on uh, mm-hmm. getting drunk because he doesn't want to deal with it. I mean, this character is surrounded by death for 90 mm-hmm. minutes. Like a but, young uh, kid at that. Yeah. And I, I know Josh uh, Dotson here is the biggest kid Cuddy fan on the planet. So I'm interested <laughs> in what he thought. <laughs> Josh, I, I poke fun of you, but I actually don't know who Kid Cudi is other than by name. And so I see it on IMDb. I was like, oh, Kid Cudi's Nick, the best friend. Um, there you go, Josh. We're white. We don't know what we're talking about when it comes to this type of music. <laughs> Look, I'm trying to provide a little levity here, Josh. You're just going to have to accept it because it's a very dark movie. So what were your, uh, what'd you think? Oh, uh, well, I'll, st- I'll start it by this. Do you remember uh, the... Um... It was a couple years ago when was it Blue Valentine, uh, the Ryan Gosling movie. Uh, <laughs> me, me and Jared went to see that together on a mandate. Oh <laughs> Jared, my. Jared got enraged with me because we were <laughs> at a sports bar eating like slices of pizza and having a beer, and I don't know what you know ball game was on. I don't know what sports season, uh, but we were having trouble getting our check to go. And we were trying to make the next showing of Blue Valentine. And I was, I, I think I was like taking the initiative to be like, Hey, hey, buddy, can you, can we get our, our tabs here? Cause we gotta go see a movie and just making conversation. He's like, Oh, what movie are you gonna see? And without a second thought, I was Blue Valentine. <laughs> the look he gave me and Jared, like two dudes sitting together in baseball caps at a sports bar. Uh, me and him, my bearded friend are gonna go see Blue Valentine. <laughs> ridiculous but you know what i wanted to go back to that guy and say hey that was a hell of a movie i mean oh, not yeah. fun but great so all right sorry josh go ahead with that imagery of me and jared on the date for <laughs> that helps that helps get through Lighten the mood um well i remember like we had a conversation about like because wasn't it initially like rated nc-17 and it was yeah. kind of controversial because of the fact that the sex scene was really not that controversial and I think we mentioned that, like, it must have been because, like, there was crying involved that, like, it made it too real for, like, the, <laughs> too disturbing. <laughs> yeah, too disturbing, too real for the the ratings board, and it freaked them out. So, like, ah, oh, no, NC seventeen. That's that's how I feel about this movie. I'm like, you know what? This is, this needs an NC seventeen. It's too <laughs> too uh, too, too real. Raw. It's, it's it's hitting me in places I don't I don't like feeling, and. uh it, yeah, it's man, it's a, it's a heavy movie. It's great performances all around. You you, you laugh about <laughs> Kid Cudi, but uh, you know what? He was good too. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he, uh, I love you calling him Kid Cudi. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think I sort of have a a bias against these type of movies because I really like films that deal with, I guess just self-destructive men. And there, there's a lot of classic ones like, um, 
I don't know if either one of you have seen this Paul Newman movie called HUD, where he's this, like, he's, he's like this, uh, you know, he's going to inherit this, inherit this farm and his dad has made money in cattle and he's an alcoholic, a ladies man and sort of self-destructive and has a bad relationship. So there's all these sort of iconic screen roles in particular of men boozing up. I mean, Don Draper, Mad Men is a more recent one where it's guys who, you know, they're handsome it seems like they should have everything like together and then you're going to watch these guys screw it up. And I could see James White being too much for people because of the situation. In this case, it's not just a rich guy blowing money on booze or womanizing. It's at home. He's got his dying mother and he cares very much for her, but it's almost like you said, it's almost too much for him to handle. Like he has to go out and get drunk to like sort of forget his pain momentarily but then he feels incredibly bad about what he just did and is apologizing the next moment and he comes back to watch his mom die in front of him <laughs> this is not one that was ever meant to you know set the world on fire and it's kind of like <laughs> before the devil knows you're dead without a heist as far as like the way i feel <laughs> like i'm explaining to people i'm like yeah as i'm saying this how much all the things i like about it I know listeners. I can almost hear their their voices. Like, yeah, I'm not, not going to watch that. Yep, <laughs> not going to line that up for Saturday night. But I do think they're doing a disservice because Chris Rabbit is so good in this movie. Mm. He's excellent as the main character. That's really the thing to hang your hat on with this movie is that, I mean, it's, it's well-directed and everything, but uh, it's the performances because, <laughs> yeah, it's not a story you want to sit through. I, I really do not want to ever watch this movie again. Except for um, when he slaps the, the high school kid that's like sass him. I thought you would that love that. Was, that was pretty <laughs> nice. That was pretty cool. Keep in mind, our our hero here, James White, played by Chris Rabbit, is dating a high school girl when he very well should be out of that range, that age range. And when Kid Cootie, as you call him, calls him out on it, he's like, yeah, so what? <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> so these other high school brats come up to him and try to challenge him and – Smacks him right across the face. That's it. It doesn't even escalate further than that. It's just a completely demeaning smack. I think maybe I'm bringing people back to it. Maybe the people <laughs> who think that's oh, too depressing, maybe they're coming back to it. I don't know. So, Jared, I'm glad. So, you you really dug this then. This this yeah. is like a – does this uh, sit in the sort of the sad bastard Hall of Fame with something like Blue Valentine? Yeah, because it's – like you said, it's just done so well. Like everything about it is really it, – it looks great. The, the one thing that kind of threw me at first is – um you get so many tight like shots on James White himself. Like I was like, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this movie. You can so smell many, the like, booze, man. You can. I, <laughs> see, I see the booze, but I've been there, James. <laughs> that opening scene, man, it's right there on his face, and he's like at a club. With, you know, it's raving, and he's got like a hoodie on. He's got a drink, and his his face is just saturated with sweat. And bring <laughs> brings his own music too. Goes yeah, to a loud earbuds, club, but so, yeah, listening to music through earbuds <laughs> as music is pounding. I mean, instant like torture you're as instantly like <laughs> too close too much <laughs> so you said something about like love the coopers as far as it's something you can get into because it's gonna be worth all the bickering among the family because you with it being a christmas movie you you have it in the back of your mind they're gonna come back together i think this film sets up like no this the mom knows like she's basically trying to ensure that her son james is going to be able to handle her passing. Like she wants to have in her death, the knowledge that he's going to be okay. Yeah. And I don't think the film ever makes you comfortable. That that's necessarily going to be the case. So 
I mean, it's very realistic that way, but I think that makes it a much harder sit. You get that um, kind of what I would call maybe the climactic moment of the movie where it's um, him speaking to his mom when she's uh, really delirious from having the, the fever and she's close to passing at that point. And to try to help, you know, give her some peace and comfort, uh, he's sitting with her in the bathroom and he starts telling oh, her the fictional, fu- yeah, the fictional future. It seems, it feels like someplace else in here. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah. I just gotta sit in the... Close your eyes. Take a deep breath in. Exhale all the negative out. Deep breath. Push it all out. Cancer is gone. You beat it. Where do you want to be? Paris. Hear the sounds of the streets. The cars on the street. The wind. Relax your mind. My wife and I moved there. We got two beautiful boys. You live next door in a beautiful one bedroom. You have all your books. I want some dinner. <clears throat> you show my children all the museums on Sundays. You teach them about everything. We have dinner at my house every Friday as a family. <sighs> Smell the flowers in the flower market. See the Louvre. See Rodin's garden. See me happy. See me as a father. Mm. See me as a kind and loving man. See me smile to see you so happy. My children love their grandma. You watch them grow up. You tell my secrets when they're old enough. You meet a man you love. He's French. Expat. What? Expat. Expat. He's an expat. He's a wonderful man who fits perfectly in our family. He loves you. He inspires you. He values you. He holds your hand through everything. He's adventurous. He loves you. You're surrounded by people you love and who love you. You're safe. You're responsible for all this beauty. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this life and helping me create this for myself. And so you get a glimpse of what the fact that he knows what he needs to be and what he needs to do and the type of life he should be living, but he's still he's still fighting, you know, whatever demons he's fighting or growing up. And maybe it's just too young. Maybe it's just too young for all this to 
have happened to him. Well, it's, really. it was, yeah, it's certainly more than a, a Ron Livingston's character who I really liked in the movie. What little also, bit he was also in. a great scene he's got with him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he even tells him that, you know, it's like, I, he's like, I get it. He's like, there's no judgment. He's like, I'm not judging you uh, for what you're going through. You just can't do this right now because of what you're going through. Yeah. He's like, yeah you can't, you can't take those steps into adulthood just yet because you're going to fail with this mindset right now. Yeah. You just need to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's one of those movies I think would be, it's hard to impress on people why they should watch it. But I've, <laughs> if I, if, if, if I think if they click, yeah, you know it's a short movie. It's not even an hour and a half. Yeah, it's an easy one. Hey, you know what though? Well, you say that because I remember, before I started watching it, I looked. I was like, "Oh, this is an hour and a half movie. Excellent." <laughs> In and out. Yeah. No, it felt longer than the right stuff, man. Sitting there watching it, I was like, "Oh God, can't everybody just go ahead and die?" Because I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to die right now. Sitting here watching this because I just. <laughs> So Josh, that you... unlock the poster like I'm ready to die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Josh, yeah. Josh, sober. sober cinema. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh, are you saying that did the critics get it dramatically wrong with their, you know, ninety two percent for James White and nineteen no, for the Coopers? No, I, I, I'm just saying like with with the subject matter and with how strong it, it comes on, it's it does not feel like a quick watch. You know, it's just so heavy. I would that... agree with you as much as I liked it. They probably pushed it as far as they could. I don't. I don't think you can do two hours. It's of this. exhausting. It's exhausting. It, it is so taxing watching it. And I'm not even saying like I wasn't even like sitting there like boohooing or anything. I mean, there's certain movies that pull it out on me, but like you still just get that gut wrenching feeling watching it. You're just a pit in your stomach the whole time. Or like this is just I feel bad for these people. <laughs> you know, I just feel so bad for everybody involved. Did you feel bad for Jared, knowing that he was probably tearing up, having to cry? I figured Jared was like probably party him because he felt like someone had it worse than him <laughs> Jared, you did not drink while we're watching james white right no i made the mistake of uh i woke up early and watched it before work one morning <laughs> so that was uh that was uh how my day started sir i didn't get around to uh telling you but yeah um well, Josh... work can't be that bad Listeners of Sober Cinema, we have a winner this episode. It's all been worth it to know that Jared got up one morning and was like, well, before I go clock in for eight to ten hours, let's see what's going on in James White's world. Oh, no. Oh, no. Did you do the same for Love the Coopers, or was that a post-work? No, no, no. That was a post-work, okay. yeah. Um, and you still like James White more, so that's that's pretty strong. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's one of those like you know this is technically great it's it's amazing thanks i never want to watch it again like josh said like it's it's to be consumed once and then uh i i can't ever see a reason to rewatch it i would say if your bears get to the super bowl and lose that's the time to double down and watch something like say james white. i almost needed james white during the world series a couple of years ago okay. yeah yeah <laughs> But instead, uh, you end up having like a Love the Cooper style ending with Steve Martin and the dog. I've all worked out. There. Very white dancing, yes. Shout out to all the Cleveland Indian fans out there. All right. <laughs> so uh, I think that's uh, that's it for this episode. And uh, I think we're going to play one of Josh's favorite artists as we uh, wrap this one up. Kid Cootie. Kid, Coot- Kid Cootie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears throat> I'm shocked you did not throw Timothy under the bus with that trivia you sent me that James White's yeah, his favorite movie I was waiting time. for an opening because I tell you what 
Uh, well, just imagine watched, that the music's playing right now. Yeah. Rant. You can rant yeah, while okay, the music so plays. After I watch the movie, after I watch James Watt, the first thing I do is I, I kind of pull up IMDb just to read some reviews and stuff, see what other people are thinking. It's kind of my little tradition. And I scroll down. I don't even open the <laughs> trivia box. It's the it's the line of trivia that is already present on the Number main one, page. baby. They want you to know. Yep. And it says... Favorite movie of Timothee Chalamet. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Can't get away from Are you serious? <laughs> so I proceed to throw my phone across the room out of like rage. Text Mark. <laughs> I, I like up. to think that you have been hate googling Timothee so much that IMDb knows how to program oh, the yeah. trivia for you. We know what <laughs> this like guy to wants. Know more about Timothee. <laughs> I was so I, I was so pulled between the two movies. Do I do I hate the movie he's in, or do I hate the movie he loves? Because I, I, I don't know which one hurts most. I like to think that he went out for the role of James White and got shot down. And oh, instead, is playing good. the stinky bo ridden <laughs> yeah. character in Love the Coopers instead. Yeah. Who can't can't make out with a chick. I like that. There you go, Josh. Mm-hmm. Another win for James White. Happy ending. And see what you can find if the barrels are not empty. We'll hope that you'll be kind We'll hope that you'll be kind With your apple and your pear And we'll come no more a-soulin' Till Christmas time next year A-soul-cake, a-soul-cake Please, good missus, a-soul-cake An apple, a pear, a plum or a cherry Any good thing to make us all merry A-soul-cake, a-soul-cake Sting is singing from the perspective of a street urchin wanting a pie for Christmas. <laughs> is that what soul Wikipedia cake? says? Or <laughs> your interpretation? Please, God misses a soul cake. One for Peter, two for Paul, and three for him that made us all. It works for me, Jared. 